0: All right. So uh, back to cutting room floor. We're in Exodus. Um, Moses has received his call from God at the burning bush, and he's making his way to Egypt. And you have this scene Mm -hmm. that is quick, but confusing. (laughs) It has a lot of sort of loaded stuff there. So we just want, maybe we'll unpack it, right? I didn't get to it on Sunday, Mm -hmm. um, but it, it has some allusions in the New Testament and I think some sort of backward looking significance too. So for sure, yeah, read it for us. Yeah,
1: let's, I think we should read it. So this is Exodus chapter four, and just three verses, verses 24 through 26. And the text reads this. So on the trip, referring to Moses' journey back towards Egypt, on that trip, at an overnight campsite, it happened that the Lord confronted him and intended to put him to death. So Zipporah, which is Moses' wife, took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, and threw it at Moses's feet and said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And at that time she said, you are a bridegroom of blood referring to the circumcision. And then that's kind of the end of that Yeah. Then point they of the story. <laughs> a 300
0: or 400 mile yeah. trek uh, through the wilderness. Who knows where this is at that mm-hmm. point, but wow. Yeah. So what is going on?
1: Totally. Yeah. And so there's a lot of moving pieces here for just three verses Yeah. and I think Kind of let's start kind of more broadly to kind of get okay. some of the the context a little bit. So in Exodus 4, we're kind of jumping into kind of an ongoing, I guess, story. Well, it's an ongoing story, but an ongoing story in particular of Moses and God kind of having these moments yep. where Moses is kind of pushing back against it's be like a conversational relationship, exactly. Yeah,
0: where at the burning bush, God calls, and Moses, there's like at least three, four. Yeah, depending That's on how you the, count. Yeah, so four count, times. Yeah, four times sort of Push putti- back.
1: Push back, exactly, and so that goes again from Exodus three and Exodus four. Moses is pushing back yeah. against God's call yeah. for him to be the leader to Israel. I'm not a I'm, exactly. I'm not a public speaker. going to push back. Yeah. So there's all this back and forth, and so in context, it seems like Moses is having this, you know, this crisis internally as to, you know, is he really going to? Am I really going to follow God? Can I really yeah. trust God? Am I really this? called leader to be the one who leads the people out of Israel or out of Egypt. And in light of that, what's happening here is you have, so you have that piece in the background of Moses' kind of struggle with God.
0: Lukewarm, resistant sort of thing. Yeah.
1: And then this also, it relates to, because this concept of circumcision, you Mm kind of have to do a little bit of, again, broader kind of Bible background. So we're going to go back a little bit. Yeah. Go backwards to the book of Genesis, where specifically with the story of Abraham. So. Genesis 12, God calls Abraham, I'm going to bless you, you're going to be a blessing. Uh, God promises to, you know, make him a great nation in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. God has chosen him, and he has made this promise to Abraham. But then you skip a couple chapters forward to Genesis 17. Mm -hmm. Again, God reiterates that promise, descendants more numerous than the stars, all these sorts of language that we're, you know, pretty much familiar with at this point. But then in Genesis 17, something unique happens up to this point in the story, and God institutes... Basically, what people would call the sign of this covenant, yep. that being circumcision. Practice of circumcision. Practice of circumcision, exactly. And so part of what it meant for Abraham and his family, what would later become the nation of Israel, to be a part of God's family would be this sign for the males to be circumcised. Okay. And it was to be done in obedience and response to God's gracious call to uh, to be a part of the family. Okay, so, now, But
0: it's not like in the New Testament, we get to this idea of baptism yeah. and usually people frame it in terms of like, it's an outward sign of an internal reality. Sure, yeah. Is that sort of the same? Is yeah. there sort of a parallel there? It, there's a
1: parallel there for sure. Because I think especially in the narrative flow, God yeah. has already Genesis 12, Genesis 15 he already called promised. and promised and yeah. blessed Abraham
0: pre circumcision.
1: Pre circumcision. Yeah. Right. And Paul makes this point explicitly in the book of Romans yeah. and in Galatians that to articulate, you know, the whole, you know, theology of faith and yeah. trusting in Jesus. And so that's in the background though. But again, there is a response to God's call, mm-hmm. that being obedience, and in particular, the obedience through this kind of sign or practice of circumcision.
0: Yeah. So God's people, uh, there's sort of there's an internal sort of alignment with God, but then there's this call of saying, okay, but I want you to do this external, have yeah. this external sign on your bodies.
1: Totally. Exactly.
0: And now we get God calling Moses. Mm-hmm. Moses is on the way to Egypt, and then it's like.
1: Yeah, the, you know, like the, there's a, there's a halt in the story, yeah. right? There's a glitch that's going to happen because what's again happening with this practice of circumcision, I think this is also important to just mention, is that that outward sign of kind of re- removing kind of the foreskin, mm-hmm. you know, of the male genitalia is kind of symbolic. Even the Hebrew prophets talk about this and especially in the New Testament of removing kind of the excess or those areas of one's life that don't align with hmm. the heart and the will of God, okay. right? So there's some symbolism going on there with that. Yeah. And so that's why this act of obedience was to be follow, was to follow the trust and the relationship with God. But the thing is, it seems like as you read those three verses that we just read from Exodus four, there's something that has not happened with Moses' son, namely him being circumcised. Yeah. And so, so here maybe you maybe they
0: just went with the practice of his wife. Yeah. Who is not a Hebrew. Not a Hebrew. And so maybe it's their family, right? They're in Midian. Totally. It's her family tribe. Maybe they just went that direction. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, well, what do you care? You know, we'll do whatever. Do
1: whatever, right? But apparently God confronts Moses in this narrative yeah. or in, in the role of the family too at this point and is addressing this, you know, impartial obedience at best at this point. There's some kind of clues culturally that perhaps Egyptians practiced a different form of circumcision mm. that was different from Israel. There's some hints of that in the book of Joshua kind of talking about, you know, the, how the other nations okay. practice this sort of, you know, ritual or yeah. practice or whatever. But it seems like whatever the case might be culturally in the background, yeah. what I think is pretty obvious is that there hasn't been this sort of complete obedience on the yeah. part of Moses. Now, there's a little bit of an irony here is that Moses, according to the text, is not the one who actually circumcises That's crazy, his right? son, it's right? His, it's his wife. It's his wife, First 25. not a Hebrew. Exactly. Yes. And so this becomes, again, kind of the almost a typical pattern to a certain degree at this point throughout the Torah of often outsiders, meaning those that perhaps aren't initially a part of the family of Abraham being ones that are either more righteous or more obedient, or at least more aware of, you know, following God and his instructions.
0: Yeah. So God calls Abraham right out of Babylon, essentially Mm -hmm. calls him, says, Oh, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. And the first thing he does is go to Egypt and he ends up being less righteous than the pharaoh exactly, Yeah. so he's meant to bless the nations, and the nations are actually like end up blessing him exactly right. And then it happens later again in a couple chapters with Abraham, and now you see the similar pattern repeating exactly. Yeah,
1: and this is again remember all on the journey uh, Moses' journey back to Egypt yeah. to be the leader to lead Israel and confront the pharaoh. Yeah, and again, kind of similar parallel to what you just mentioned with Abraham. Here is Zipporah who is. You know, essentially an outsider as far as not a part of the family of Abraham yeah. originally, being the one who is more or less the more obedient one yeah. the more in this responsive. case. The more responsive. Yeah, Certainly. I think that's a better way to put it. Exactly. And so what you have then at this point is, again, throughout the flow of this narrative, here's Moses, who again, who is at this point kind of struggling or resisting God's call, whereas in this particular narrative, though, where those previous ones were more verbal, Moses was verbally kind of pushing mm. back against God. Yeah. Here, it's more of not necessarily verbal, but just more with yeah. his actions.
0: Yeah, we communicate not just with our words. Totally.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a, one of the, when you kind of see it in that narrative context, it yeah. kind of sheds some light as to, you that's know, good. what exactly is going on. Because again, uh, this is, I would frame it like this. If we have at least four, depending on how you count, five sort of objections or pushbacks yeah. that Moses has against God, this one here, though it's not verbal, would be either number five or six, yeah. right? And so it might seem sort of harsh, but again, God's coming and he's kind of saying like, you know, Moses, your son's about to be kind of cast out and killed yeah. if this doesn't this doesn't happen. Now, again, in context, there's a kind of another, maybe perhaps a final piece to bring into this.
0: Well, what about like the contrast even with Moses gets five chances. Yeah, this is what and, I was going to talk about. Yeah. Ten plagues. Ten
1: plagues, exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, because right before this, these three verses that we read, God had just spoken to Moses, telling Moses that you're going to go to Egypt, so on and so forth, and that Israel, my firstborn son, yeah. he calls Israel his firstborn son, is to be delivered out of, yeah. out of Egypt. But Pharaoh's not going to listen. And I'm eventually going to come after yeah. his firstborn son. Which will be the 10th plague. Will be the 10th plague, yeah. right? And so in contrast, though, you have basically 10 chances for Pharaoh. Yeah. And essentially, depending on how you count, five or six chances yeah. here with Moses. Now, Moses, you know, via his family, responds mm-hmm. in a way that his son is not killed. Yeah. Obviously, we, most of us know the story. Pharaoh does not respond sure. in such a way, and his son and the firstborn sons, Yeah of Egypt are eliminated. And I think it's just interesting to point out that contrast because as we're gearing up for the 10 plagues, as you're kind of reading yeah. through the book of Exodus, I think it's interesting to me that who actually got the more chances mm. to put it like that is actually Pharaoh yeah. to a certain degree. Cause I think this pushes back a little bit. And this is a little bit of a, a, a rabbit trail, a little bit, but sometimes we think of those 10 plagues as being like God's this angry old <laughs> Testament vengeful <laughs> sure. sort of God. But in context, Moses is actually getting less chances, so yeah. to speak, than Pharaoh. That's so interesting. there's a there's a yeah. parallel there that's there's happening. A parallel.
0: It also brings up just the theme of the sun. Yeah. Which is a huge theme For in sure. the book of Exodus. Yeah. Right. So when he go, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, you know, he says, On behalf of God, right, let my son go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he might worship me. Totally. Yeah. Right. And then you have the sun theme that plays through with the tenth plague, which mm-hmm. then riffs off of the Passover meal, yep, which then yep. riffs into the New Testament. For sure. Like you have all, all these, these interconnecting sun themes. Yes. That also probably riffs back to Isaac. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have oh, all these sun themes yeah. uh, that become actually really important when we get into the New Testament. For sure.
1: For sure. Exactly. And it, it just really highlights, for one of the things that, that makes me think of is highlighting sort of, I guess to frame it like this, the familial language of mm. God's people. That's good. Where God is relating to Israel as this is my son right term of endearment a term yep. of family affection and this whole sort of desire on the part of god is that of a loving father wanting to set free his people yep. from oppression and in the midst of that is the leader of israel struggling to actually sort of get on board yeah. with this
0: so what do we take from that like so that's sort of high level like how do you how do we take this yeah and sort of apply it to ourselves like For obviously sure. there's a calling of the the broken, mm-hmm, like yeah, the, the the imperfect, maybe for sure, yeah,
1: and I think there's there's a level of that where I think it's really important because again, the narrative context, Moses is being he's traveling back to Egypt to yeah. confront Pharaoh, and it seems like in the midst of God using and calling and partnering with Moses, Moses is struggling to still have all the aspects of his life put mm, together, yeah, and I think there's a, a, a especially his own family life in particular, yeah. right, and so think about just. The fact of like serving God, listening to God, obeying God, that it's not the 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 logic or the narrative isn't get your life together, get everything all squared away, and then, you know, God's going to use you. Yeah. Now, obviously, there are components of life where, you know, you know we want to make sure we're doing the best we can to follow and listen and obey and not just be a complete just do whatever the heck I sort of want to sure. do. But at the same time, though, I think there's this theme here in this story that we can take away from that even though Moses doesn't have all the aspects of his life, and in particular his family life all put together, God is still going to work through his less than perfect obedience. Mm, Not to excuse obedience or disobedience, and not to excuse sort of perhaps all the other excuses that Moses has given up until this point. But do I think, see that God is going to work with Moses where he's at, And hopefully, as the story as the narrative progresses, Moses is going to grow into yeah. more of the leader that I think God wants well, him to I be. Well, I think
0: he works with the imperfect, but he also challenges the imperfect yeah, to grow for sure. And yeah. that sort of you also see that in this passage of mm-hmm. He's calling him, but He's also like Moses, like this is serious. Yeah. Yeah. And so He's also not just tolerating. Oh, I guess I'm just always going to yeah, be broken. Like sure. there's this there's this push of God to mm-hmm. say no 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 like. We don't need to stay here.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's really important because especially in our culture, the word obedience can, you know, set some light bulbs off in sort of a way that like, that's, oh, I don't want to talk about obedience. I want to talk about grace. I want to talk about, you know, forgiveness.
0: Or I want to talk about God inviting versus God like telling me to obey to obey. Right. It's like invitation is like, I can, you know, if I get an invitation in the mail, I can ignore it. (laughs) Ignore it. Yeah. I can throw it in the trash. I can, whereas a command is like, okay, you're either defying it or obeying it. For
1: sure. Exactly. And while this sort of practice of circumcision, you know, we may or may not necessarily adhere to, you know, for your own family or whatever, still the, the, what runs through from the old Testament to the new Testament is this concept of obedience yeah, it's good. and obeying God's voice and obeying the scriptures and obeying yeah. what God has to say, not out of, you know, you know, this kind of begrudging sort sure. of gods, this angry monster in the yeah. sky. But that's but it,
0: also like central to Exodus, right? It's yeah. this idea of God is calling his people from
1: the yes
0: angry, tyrannical yes, Pharaoh yes. into service and obedience of him. Cause he thinks man, I'm going to be so much better for these people. Yeah. They're actually going to flourish under my leadership. But he also recognizes that he, God, and he knows better. Mm-hmm.
1: For sure. Yeah. And
0: like, I think that's, it's sort of this frame of, yeah, God is not tyrannical, mm-hmm. Yeah, but he also knows what we need.
1: What we need. Yeah. And, and we often don't. <laughs> what we need
0: is not what we think.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's where I think obedience, you know, I've come to find it to be actually be a beautiful yeah. word. It's, it's a freeing. freeing. Exactly. Yeah, it's good. a freeing word. So.
0: Yeah. Thanks Aaron. That's awesome. Cool.